0: Yeah, let us go for main engine start
1: go at throttle up negative return then we see a nominal miko welcome to space D'accord oai bienvenue au podcast of nominal numero 11 Moi j'appelle Jake et voici Anthony. Anthony, comment ça va?
0: I assume that was the intro <laughs> and that you said all nice things about me and our friend Eric Berger, who is here with us. Hello Eric.
2: Ça va bien, Houston. Shit.
0: <laughs> Buongiorno.
2: <laughs> no Italian <laughs> I allowed. the best
0: Italian of all of us.
2: Bonsoir. <laughs> oh man, okay, well we got the show going. That's a uh, that's a good sign.
0: Murphy's law tonight.
1: Yeah, yeah. It always it always crashes and burns the worst when someone's watching. So um, that's just kind of how it goes. But Eric, how are you today? How how are things in in Houston?
2: You know, it's great. Actually, we had that uh, that astronaut ceremony on Friday, and uh, I was really really taken taken ab- taken aback by that. Um, uh, it was it it felt really good to see, you know the astronauts come out on stage and and be so energetic um, and to be probably with about a year into flight and talk to them about sort of what they've been through. Um, I'm not sure what it looked like online for people who watched it, but being there, it felt pretty special. And, and frankly, you know, it's been such a funk here in Houston since the retirement of the Spatial. It was a really good day.
1: Do you, did you think that it feels good to See a uh, an American event in an American chair in an American room with American <laughs> astronauts. America, and American America!
0: Soil. Somebody r- told me that it was Steve Ballmer, but America instead of developers, and it was the perfect reference. Was, America, 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 America!
1: We need to do a supercut of of Jim Bridenstine and saying American, and then we'll make like a video of it. It's
2: too good. Let's not let's not make too much fun of Jim Bridenstine. At least he didn't get up there and do a Pence and say I. You know, I want to welcome you to Johnson Space Center. You know, under the great presidency of Donald J. Trump.
0: And wait yeah, for uh, the applause line.
2: <laughs> yeah, like you know, he he never mentioned Trump once. I mean, he and he doesn't. He's 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 really good about that. I mean, I know he hit the America thing pretty hard yesterday. He Did say you know the NASA's as good as it's ever been, but you know, he's uh, I'm not going to make fun of him too much because actually I think he's doing a really good job.
0: He was in his element too because he was you know, Navy pilot talking with other test pilots. And he was like, he definitely had more of a, he didn't feel like an administrator talking to astronauts. It felt like he was, he saw them as like his people, which was a cool thing. Yeah. Jake, we skipped the entire beer segment already.
1: Yeah, everything. We just jumped yeah. right into it. We
0: totally blew our our non-format.
1: There, there, yeah, I saw Eric drink a beer, thing? so
0: I was like, oh, that, that was part of the show.
1: <laughs> the only thing we're worse at than sound is format, I think is probably the, uh, the truth there. Eric, what was that? Um, I saw
0: something pop up on screen there. You oh, had a beer koozie because uh, you kept it cold through all of our tech <laughs> meltdown that just happened for the last twenty minutes.
2: I, I like my beer about as cold as the permanently shadowed regions on the moon. So yeah. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> it's a blue moon, uh, because it's a Belgian white beer and that's my favorite kind of beer. And you know, hopefully blue moon gets funded at some point from NASA, although I think it's gonna be a <laughs> pretty hot competition. Um, over the next couple of years to see how how that
0: often would that happen that they would fund such a program? (laughs) Well, like once in a blue moon or
2: (laughs) well, they've done it. They've done it once in in their history. So not very often, but I think, you know, we're going to get some kind of an RFI over the next few months and, you know, we'll see who responds to it and we'll see what that looks like. But it's, it's interesting. I mean, we're getting to the point probably within the next year or so we'll see NASA put some money on the table for at least a medium-sized lander. And you know, at that point, Blue Origin will have to be pretty specific about what they're offering.
0: And you'll still be drinking Blue Moons. I love Blue Moon. I love Blue Moons. It's one of my favorite beers.
1: Belgian guy. Wow. I don't mean a lot of Belgian fans.
2: Belgian beer fans? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems odd. Everyone's like, like,
1: like, "Ah, it's good. But like, you're the first person who said this is my favorite kind of beer.
0: I would drink one, no questions asked.
1: I would also drink one. I love a good Belgian. So what's all this?
0: You're just, you know, judging us all over here.
1: (laughs) I just, I've never heard it before. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued about the possibilities here. What do you got, Jake? Uh, So I had uh, the great pleasure of meeting one of our listeners last week. Um, So Chris was in town and he, uh, he was over from, from Hamilton, Ontario. And he brought me a, uh, a Hamilton, Ontario beer which you can see wow, right that here. That is and the
0: most ornate label I've ever seen in my life. It's kind of pretty. Juicy, <laughs> dank, and tropical.
1: This is the thing is that it's got these <laughs> nice flowery label. It's the Fairweather Brewing Company in Hamilton, Ontario. High grade IPA, and then it says juicy, dank, and tropical. So, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. And it's I've got a lot of condensation on here. I must be very humid here today. But uh, I'm very excited to try it because uh, I haven't been uh, to Ontario in a while. And, uh, yeah, it's good. So I'm going to pour it. Find out. Do the thing. What are you working on, no. Anthony?
0: Jake always opens his, like, within audible range of the mic, but he didn't today. Uh, I've got... So <laughs> back did. in... Uh, Jake, when were you in Philadelphia? March? Yes, March. So I've got a Yard's Philadelphia Pale Ale. They... When we were at... We did this meetup, Eric, in March when Jake was in town uh, after he was in Houston. This is relevant. And... Mm-hmm. uh yeah. We did a little meetup at Yards Brewery, which opened in Philly, but they, at that time, they weren't actually operating that brewery. Like, it was still, they were moving all their stuff over still. They've got it rolling now. They started producing canned beer for the first time, so I bought a case of it to give it a shot. And they've got this sweet new design of their cans. It's pretty nice looking. Uh, So, Philadelphia Pale Ale. It's kind of my go-to. Like, need a case of something, that's what I grab. So, going with the old standard tonight. It's good. Yeah. Drinkable, you know, good and drinkable. That's what we're looking for. I'm
2: That's... trying to like not only drink
1: IPAs. I'm not doing a very good job of it tonight, but it's like a new <laughs> thing that I'm trying. And uh, it's it's not going great. I'm not going to lie.
0: <laughs> Eric, did you drink anything of note in French Guiana?
2: I drank a lot of French Guiana beer. Um, I would like to hear actually, about that. What That's what pretty happened? interesting. What was really interesting was like Heineken has some kind of, like licensing deal there because Heineken was everywhere and I don't really like Heineken. Um, But fortunately there was some good locally brewed French beer or beer in in French Guiana. And then actually Suriname is just North of uh, French Guiana. So I had some Surinamese beer as well, which was kind of a trip. Um, But yeah, it was all, it was all pretty good. The, the beer there, I'd give it a thumbs up. It's interesting about French Guiana. I had never been to South America, and so when I got there, I was like, "All oh, right, you know, I'm in South America for the first time." And some of the, the hosts I was there with said, "No, this is this is actually France," and so you're still in the European Union. Um, so technically, maybe I wasn't in South America. I don't know, but anyway, <laughs> I, I was down there. It was cool.
0: You were I don't I geologically <laughs> in South America, but culturally, you were in Europe.
2: Sort of, yeah, yeah, huh. Yeah, it's kind of a weird like like little secluded not real place
1: in the middle of a real place. It feels like I don't know, it's hard to describe, but does that make any sense? Probably not.
2: <laughs> no, I mean it's 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 you know, it's interesting, like each of the major spaceports kind of has their own biome. Like Kennedy Space Center is tropical, but it's kind of like beachy and you know, you're looking at gators and and swampy areas. Um, Kazakhstan's very dusty steppe. It's, you know, Asian steppe. you know, it's super hot in the summer and it's super cold in the winter. Um, uh, and so it's, like I said, it's kind of like a desert. And then this was a jungle, like they like beat back the jungle constantly to, to sort of keep their facilities up. And, and you know, you look at the, the buildings that were built in 19, the 1990s, and they look like they're from the, 50s or 60s i mean because it's just i guess the humidity there and and the tropical rains and stuff are just really hard on their facilities Hmm.
1: i wonder if that makes it worth it like because you get you know big big benefit of being there is you're so close to the equator and i wonder how much of that you you, use that savings you you know in in performance in your vehicles you spend back trying to upkeep the facilities against the elements that'd be a cool case study to read one day
2: <laughs> i think it's i think it's the not just the performance i mean it, the performance is considerable it's even it's like even 15 percent more than than florida and like you could do like 30 percent more to orbit than than soyuz a comparable soyuz launch from uh, baikonur um, but it's also the fact that they can launch toward a polar orbit from there because it's kind of like at an angle on the coast. And right. You can also launch eastward. I mean, if you think about it, in Florida, if you, in Europe, you can't launch eastward from anywhere, really. I mean, I guess maybe uh, parts of Great Britain. I guess you could potentially get away from, but then you're super far north. Yeah. Uh, so it, it it makes sense. I mean, especially for for France, which basically like. they had this thing called the europa rocket which i didn't really know anything about in the 1960s that was this contraption of like a british first stage a (laughs) second stage and a german third stage and it it kept blowing up and so like the after that the british were like we're out um and the other companies kind of stepped back so it was really just france and to a lesser extent germany kind of holding the candle and so they went to the one place really that they could they could launch from
1: yeah the whole european like rocket story is is really fascinating to me like how it all came together cuz it it seemed like really um if you read up on it like really kind of promising in the 70s like late 60s and 70s they really kind of hit it with a lot of um velocity and then yeah that europa rocket which was basically tied together with sticky tape was um you know didn't have great success and then it kind of collapsed where they had the two organizations like okay. there was like a launch company and then like a a research you know organization yep, and they yep. merged together to make esa and then it just seemed to kind of like settle down into the nice kind of low key pace that it is today it's It's kind of an interesting story
2: It is an interesting story, and it's what was what was striking to me is that how it could have definitely gone sideways um, back in the 1970s if the French kind of hadn't stuck with it um, because the Italians started buying these um u s rockets these these um these smaller rocket scout rockets that they were launching off a of platform um uh, near Africa and um you know the, as I say, the British basically just stopped building them and uh, and then they and then they kind of came together, and it was really because the success with the first Ariane rockets that that people the other countries looked at that and said, "Oh well, we want to be a part of that and so they they came back came back together, but it almost didn't work out. Hmm.
0: I do appreciate how there's like a certain level of honesty with Europe's launch industry in general that I feel like, does not exist in the U.S. at all, like on a national level, Level, you know? Because Europe is always very clear that they're like, we're trying to maintain a European launch sector and we, you know, sell on the commercial market to make it viable. And your your article, you had a big long piece about your trip down there and you laid out that case very well, which was like, we basically aim to cover our costs, but turns out, We've made a lot more than we've covered our costs. So things have been working out. But, you know, you get the sense that even if they were just able to cover their costs by like a dollar, they would still be doing it because they see that value in keeping that European launch sector alive, which, you know.
2: Right. And I think the, they've got two factors really working against them. One is the, the main threat of SpaceX and to a lesser extent Blue Origin, which isn't on the market yet, but is but starting to get launch contracts in the early 2020s. Um, And so there are these commercial rockets that are coming along that are very competitive. And then there is the declining orders for geosatellites, which was their meat and potatoes for the 1990s and the 2000s. I mean, that was the Ariane 4 and 5 rocket were built to serve that market. And so you've got other competitors aggressively coming into that, and you've got fewer orders on the commercial market. So it's difficult. My sense is that even if financially it's a money loser for them, they would keep going just because they want to maintain that independent capacity. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear, especially now the way the U S foreign policy is set up, you know, sort of to antagonize Europe on a number of fronts. It seems like that they're not going to be wanting be beholden to us or our companies to get into space. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I figure like, it makes sense for them to uh, we often think about this argument in terms of american um, uh, you know perspectives, so we talk about is it worth it to to invest in uh, a government sponsored industrial base in the United States when you have American private companies, but when you do the European comparison, some of those arguments fall flat, like yes, it's cheaper to to maybe go across the ocean and use SpaceX, but at the same time that national um, capability is is cast in a different light, I think, than the way we look at uh, stuff in the United States.
2: Yeah, they don't want to be, you know, they just like the U.S. military wants their assured access to space. You know, the the European military, such as it is, but but moreover, their like their GPS system and and you know Earth observation systems, they want to have an independent access to space too. So we went the route in the mid two thousands of the EELV program. But you know, they're sort of plugging along with, with Ariane Space, and they've built the Ariane 6 rocket to try to be more competitive commercially. We'll see if that works or not. Um, I think the jury's out. Um, but I, I also feel pretty confident that if you're a commercial buyer of multiple satellites or provider of multiple satellites, you're going to want to make sure that it's not just a SpaceX or it's not just a Blue Origin in the market so you're going to maybe throw some contracts there too mm-hmm. because you want to maintain that competition
1: yeah and you don't want you don't want one rocket to have a, an anomaly huh. and then your whole queue of of payloads yeah. is is all messed yeah. up
2: right hmm.
0: so what did you get the sense here you know i i, I get the vibe that this was like a in the run-up to Ariane six kind of trip in general i assume that was a lot of their positioning of it or or was this more of like we haven't really done a lot of outreach and maybe we should have somebody swing on by French Guiana cause nobody ever comes here. Uh, or maybe they were I trying think... it out in prep for people to come down for James Webb, which is when I assume they will yeah. have more tourism to French Guiana than there ever has been for space nerds.
2: So I think, I think it was more of the latter. The fact that they're like, they, people in Europe don't even know that they have a space agency. Right. And so they, they were bringing over some journalists from a lot of journalists from Italy, some from France, a couple from Britain, and then they actually invited me, and and they invited um, Caleb Henry from Space News. Uh, he couldn't, he could not, ended up not being able to go. Ah. Um, but his loss, um, because it was awesome. It looked like a great trip. It really, really was a great trip. Very eye opening, and and it was really cool to be able to get in to see all their facilities and and sort of meet their key people, um, and just to really kind of understand where they're where they're coming from. And uh, you know, so they—they they really, I think, are just looking at ways of, of getting getting more attention. Um, and, and so I, that was—I think—that was why they did the trip. And actually, I—I I told them that what they really ought to be doing is the next time they have an Ariane Five launch, is they ought to bring down. You know, there's like these dozens of kids, like in their teens and twenties, at the Cape that take these just incredible launch pictures. Oh, yeah, yeah. I said, bring down a half a dozen of those kids and turn them loose and, and let them, you know, let them take these, you know, some awesome pictures of your launch and then share that. And then that'll get your, you know, the United States will be looking at the What is that rocket? Whoa, that's really cool. Um, because it's a pretty nice scene of the rocket taking off from the middle of the jungle that you don't really see. And so the the response I got to that was, we're going to consider that but the people who take pictures for them are it's I don't know if it's a union or not but it's basically like they have like they take the pictures right and they don't you know oh. no other people coming in to take their pictures so I don't know if, I don't know if that's going to work out but um you know if you're thinking about going down there for James Webb I would just say that you know the viewing area is really far from the launch pad no, no. so it's not. It's not like going to see a Soyuz launch where you're, you know, a mile and a half away. Um, you know, or even all like, those you know, people that have
0: been there for Soyuz launches all over the world, <laughs> the thousands. Or like, the- but even,
2: but even like the, you know, even like the Falcon Heavy launch where you were. Yeah. I don't know how far is the media. Three Center miles. From the, yeah, it's it's pretty close.
0: It was close um, enough that Jake and I were like, "This feels like we're maybe a little too close to this thing." <laughs> no, no. no, 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 no. But but
2: so, I mean it, it but like it's like seven miles or something like that I want to say it's really far because um, they took us they took us to and said oh yeah like because like you're in the controls you're like behind a glass wall looking at the control center that's where the VIPs are and then they go out on the balcony to see the launch but it's like it's like seven or seven and a half miles away
0: wow even that is seven miles
2: yeah that's kind of yeah. nuts yeah <laughs> so I mean you know. Uh, I don't want to tell anyone not to go down there because it's a cool place to go and to check out. But maybe, I I don't know. I don't know. Hmm.
0: I'd do it if they need both space podcasters and beer reviewers. I feel like we've (laughs) got that market cornered. You
2: guys got that. You guys have got. I don't know. Matt from
0: Interplanetary was there and he he also has that market cornered.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the European, the, the PR guys like for the ESA and for the Arian space were just, you know, really cool people to hang out with. You know, very open, and yeah, they were they were just trying to get more attention on on what they were doing.
0: You know, so what was the most surprising element of that trip for you? Of you know, whether that was the actual facilities there or something that they said. Like, what was that takeaway for you?
2: I guess it was just sort of it was really kind of getting a sense of the history that they'd been doing this for so long. You know, that and that and that sort of really having it hammered home that the commercial market for satellites was not created in the United States. It wasn't even in Russia. It started there. You know, they were the first to come to the market and say, if you've got the money, you know, we've got a rocket. We'll sell their services to, because, you know, before, before the late eighties, you couldn't, you, know, you you couldn't launch a, You know, you, you couldn't really fly that space in a shuttle, especially after Challenger and, you know, the Russians weren't launching commercial stuff really back then. And so, I mean, they, they said, well, we'll launch it for you. And that and that, you know, so they kind of, they kind of view that as their market, um, hmm. and sort of to seeing how they've reacted to, um, to, to SpaceX and, you know, cause before SpaceX, you know, I mean, it was them and Russia that dominated that market. You know, ULA was just not competitive price-wise with, with them.
1: Yeah.
2: Cause the Ariane 5, you could put two satellites two, in there, two satellites. it. Two satellites. Yeah. Yeah. 180 million, you know, primary is paying like 110 and the secondary is paying the other the other half it's still less than an atlas 5 mm-hmm.
1: that was kind of a, it's kind of one of the, the claim to fame to that of the air 5 was its ability to like it had a pretty for its time like the, the lift capability on it was was pretty impressive when you really get down to it it's a big still rocket is.
0: i mean it's still it's one of big, the highest ones out there for you know gto it's a big
2: rocket it's a big rocket
1: Yeah. I always try and think about how I could leverage because being Canadian, I'm technically an ESA member state. And so I always try and think about how I could, like, you know, use that to go to some sort of launch. I'm like, there's like 5% of me that is like thinking about saving up money and then trying to go after the ExoMars launch in Kazakhstan somehow and like make it, make it a trip, you know, and like, Mm -hmm. like go out there and see how weird of a place it is and you know, see a, see a Mars launch. and What is ExoMars
2: launching on? A
1: proton. a proton. It'll be one of the proton? last the protons last proton,
2: probably, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> how, so, how close is the, I don't know where the viewing area for the proton is, how close that is to the...
0: It's within the radius of that one in 2013 that just turned around and decided uh, it was going <laughs> to head back on down yeah. to the Kazakhstan step.
2: Well, I, I will tell you, for the Soyuz launch, it was like, it was like a mile and a half. Over overhead. Can can are we allowed to curse on here? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it it was a <laughs> a preamble to the
0: station. Soyuz story. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a pre,
2: it's a preamble. So so it was a twenty fourteen launch of, of Butch Wilmore uh, to the space station and a couple couple Russians. And so like you're standing there and the rocket is like I don't know what it is, mile or mile and a half. It's close because when it goes up, it feels like when it gets, I don't know a little bit up in the sky it feels like it's almost going overhead and so I, it was it was cool but also like a little nervy because you're like man you know so i just remember like walking back to the buses after that launch and mike suffer who was then the program manager for the international space station saying <laughs> off the record of course that I said, I said something like, Boy, Mike, that rocket really seemed like it was over our heads. He's like, Yeah, if that had exploded, we'd all been fucked. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, That's super it, great. <laughs> it, so, so, it was, it was at that I, I, from a launch perspective, I think the Soyuz would be the way to go. And a proton is as close, if you're as, as that close to a proton, then I would definitely try and check is it out. Is there even that. like
0: a site there or were you just kind of out in the fields? It was like, down
2: <laughs> or whatever it is. It stem. was like very large deer blinds, I would, as I would characterize it. Um, and then, like, so they had like sort of like the me- like three areas for bystanders in the media. There may be like 150 or 100 people there. And then they had like a smaller area over where the family was with the NASA officials. Um, but, like, I mean, you're all walking back to the same buses. So, I mean, you're all, you're all together. It was so different. You know, because if you do a NASA launch, a, a space shuttle launch back in the day, and I'm sure commercial crew will be the same way, like the family oh. is completely segregated, you know, from the, from the median, you know, the entire time. And like, so the media has their little area or their big area. And then everyone else is kind of kept away from there. Every, there, everyone's like together, like, you know, you're traveling out to the rocket rollout. The family's there when it gets put on, you know, vertical on the launch pad. The family's there and they're standing right there. And, you know, it's totally different
0: peeing on the bus hmm. tires and stuff.
2: We didn't see the peeing on the bus tires. It's,
0: is that actually a thing?
2: I'm told that's actually okay. a thing.
0: yes. So I've always been like a hmm, is that is that a thing? Seems like a pain. thing. But but the
2: question is you know how the women do it.
0: Right. That's why yeah, that's they, what they like, they that's like, what mainly they comes into my head. It, yeah.
2: Yeah. Right. Yes, they have a cup.
1: They they bring they bring They're it like, ahead of time.
2: Yeah, these Russians and their traditions man <laughs>
1: Yeah, don't they still like they still like bless the rocket
2: and everything? Yeah, uh, they're the whole thing. Yeah, we got to see that too. That was a that was fab. Well, you you really (laughs) have to
0: commit to not changing anything since 1960, whatever. 60,
2: yeah, 61,
1: right? Well, I mean, everyone who's developed anything knows that once you start changing stuff, that's when it breaks. So (laughs) may as well just (laughs) just just do it exactly the same forever.
2: And that's really working out for the rocket industry now in the (laughs) 20s. NASA's too.
0: That's <laughs> <laughs> just trying to change. Come on. Parts. Let's try it. Parts of the bar.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's Some shift the to parts. the
0: commercial crew stuff because that, that seemed like a lot of fun yesterday. You've had like what a couple of months you've had here, Eric. This has been like space nerd heaven. For I have, you. <laughs> I,
2: have a, I have, a ridiculous, ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous, <laughs>
0: You're on a good run here. You talked to Gwen Shawwell yesterday. This is like, she would be like the patron saint of the off nominal podcast if that was such a thing.
2: Yeah, Gwen's a badass. She, um, yeah, she's a badass. Um, it was no, just so what it was is, um, most of the media had, had filed out, but I was sitting there talking to Chris Davenport. He's the Washington Post reporter. He and our friends, um, he's one of the, I mean, he's he's great, he's a great guy, a, a fabulous reporter, obviously, um, and and uh, one of the people I consider real, real competition on this beat. Um, but we're sitting there waiting to talk to Ted Cruz. Because Ted Cruz was there, and you know, <laughs> He's he is a human being, by the way, not an alien. I can confirm that. Um, sure, he's not like an android or something, or. It didn't well. He he was ex- excellent on what, no matter what you asked, getting back on message. Although I did ask him about the BFR, to try to say, hey, you know, you're
0: you're the center your from Texas. Baby. Yeah.
2: They test their engines here, and that thing is going to launch from Texas. You know, I mean, I mean, what do you think about it? And I'll have a story on that that next week, by the way. Um <laughs> But it it was not, it wasn't great. I mean, I I, I wish he'd said it, but he like talked about that for a second and pivoted back to his message, which is all the great things Ted Cruz has done on space and as, uh, as the center. And to be fair, the last couple of years, he has been very good for commercial space. Um, Anyway, she was, as we were waiting, she comes walking down the hallway and, and so we just, you know, grabbed her for a minute because, you know, we, we both knew her. She was, she was great, man. She's very, you know, Gwen is just always super high energy. I think you would have to be to sort of work next to Elon um, and, and survive that. Um, but she was, she was fired up. She said, you know, I've got a date. for. I've even got a date when we're going to launch in November. That's sort of how confident she was. But she said they wouldn't let me, they wouldn't let me tell that today. So
0: <laughs> Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's I, I, <laughs> One of them, either Canadian or American. I don't know which.
2: I mean, uh, no turkey, right? I, I think it, you know, I think it's it probably, if it happens, it would be sort of in the last 10 days of November. So there you go. You heard it here first. <laughs> you heard it here first. That's <laughs> right.
0: Can I just oh, uh, yeah. go off for a second about Victor Glover? Yes. Can. Man, I got a man crush on that guy.
1: He's a Is badass. That, yeah. Is that your, your profile picture in the Discord, Eric? Is that Victor Glover?
0: I put Is that it? up because I love that picture. I love the that one with the Victor, double yeah. thumbs up.
2: All those pictures that they put up, uh that that uh, Bill Ingalls took of them <laughs> and like their big. charged up moments, like, you know, oh, yeah, are great. I mean, those are I mean, that that was like the energy of yesterday. It just I mean, it felt cathartic for for that Space Center and for people. I, you know, it was it was a great day. So yeah, yeah, his picture was the best though.
0: <laughs> well, he he was did, the best charismatic entrance of all of them.
2: Yeah, yeah, so. he was. Did
1: did you get a sense like and this is this is uh this is the outsider question here, so uh, bear with me. But like, I mean, there was a lot of like uh, uh, American rah-rahness. So like, was it? Did you get a sense of like how much of this this like fanfare was just kind of waving the flag, and how much of it was like really genuine? Thankfully, this is this is finally happening again. Like, can you can you interpret that?
2: So, here's the deal, right? Since 2011, Houston has got the shaft. On spaceflight, about NASA's spaceflight, um, Marshall has had the space launch system. They've had Richard Shelby making making it rain um, for them, and you know they've they've had a lot of a lot of good you know a lot of funding going there and a lot of activity, and, and they've had a lot of growth. Um, and Florida has seen this. You know they they took it they took it in the shorts hardest right after shuttle. They had the most layoffs and and things like that, but they have made a really nice comeback with the spacecraft spacecraft manufacturing facilities there, with Blue Origin locating there, with the sort of renewed launch activity of, of SpaceX and the promise of more launches. So, you know, Florida has had a nice renaissance, but what you know what has been happening in Houston? Yeah, you know they've been building Orion, which they've been doing since two thousand and four. Two thousand and five um, they're managing the space station program, which may go away in twenty twenty five may go away in twenty thirty but the astronaut corps has you know shrunk by in half been cut in half. This big flight directorate, which you know oversaw seven shuttle flights a year in addition to space station, you know now they're not managing any flights i mean when it, when the humans launched to space to the space station. You know, the flight directors in Houston watch it. They watch the Russian feed, you know. They're not in control. They're they're kind of they're kind of along for the ride. Um and so it, you know, it my my perception, they wouldn't obviously they wouldn't tell you this, but I mean it's it's been a really hard seven years for Houston. So to be back in the game of actually overseeing launches, you know. It was a big deal. It was certainly much it was the biggest deal and I would I would submit it was a bigger deal than the EFT1 launch back in 2014. I mean, think about it. They've had a flight director and flight team assigned for EM1 for like 2 years. And all due respect to those people, what what are they doing every day? <laughs> your your flight planning for a mission that's going to happen not going to happen probably for at least two more years and it's it's you know anyway anyway so all that to say to sort of have nine people assigned to flights um and to 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 have that seem real and now being back in the flow of training for those missions like you were in the shuttle before 2011 that was a big deal
0: so did could is there anything that you could glean from particular assignments uh, i know there was even just here in the discord there was like Oh, Sonny Williams isn't on one of these first flights. I was like, maybe she got a longer assignment on ISS, or I don't know what goes on behind the scenes. But was there anything in particular that, that you're taking away from you know that list of names? Yeah. So,
2: okay. So, first of all, Sonny Williams, um, good question. I don't have the absolute yeah. answer. But I think it was the fact that by going on the second Boeing spacecraft, she gets to Do a mission. Be the leader. She gets to be the commander by default because she has the experience, and she gets six months on station, which I think she wants. But I I don't have I don't have hundred percent knowledge of that because I can tell you she didn't do anything wrong during training, and like she was being the only woman in that the cadre of four, you know, had very high profile. So I think that was probably her choice. Um, A couple other things that stuck out stuck out one. They didn't name commanders, which was really surprising to me. And I, and I had assumed that Hurley, Doug Hurley and Eric Bow would be the commanders because they are the only, they are two of the last three shuttle pilots left um, at NASA. And so they're like, they're the only, there are three people at NASA who have flown a spacecraft in space, um, Doug Hurley, Eric Bow, and uh, Butch Wilmore, and all the other shuttle pilots and commanders are gone. Um which is crazy to think about you know, just being seventy years removed from the shuttle. So <clears throat> I don't know why they did that. I've got to go back to some sources and really figure that out. I, they they're going to do that later and they may not even do like commander and pilot. They may do like, I don't know what they're going you know, I don't know what, they, I, they may <laughs> still be working on, working on names. It's, it's kind of strange. Um, I will also tell you that the that the Chris Ferguson edition, which obviously we've known about for is going to was going it was clear that was going to happen for several years, was not universally a loved thing at NASA. Um, you know, so I, that you know, that that he got the slot um and was sort of, you know, touted so highly was was interesting to me. Um, well, was that even know, a slot of,
0: though? Like it wasn't just hey we've got extra seats and I'm an astronaut and I would like to go to space also.
1: Yeah, because it's it's so, it's super strange, right? Like because so, he's well, like. There's he's also,
2: of- the, there's also the you know Boeing is also at, offered to add an extra person to the first flight test to to help NASA with its need. By the way, do you want to know how much they asked for that seat? Take a guess of how much money they wanted for that.
0: Wait, seat. who asked for what seat? This, is this,
2: this right. is this is <laughs> this. Yeah. This is this is how much money Boeing asked for an ex Na, would charge NASA for an extra seat on that first flight test to get another crew member on station for a long duration flight. Fifty mil. How much does Russia charge? Like
0: Eighty seven. Yeah, 85, yeah. good. Like yeah. So I have a. I I
2: have not. NASA would not confirm this. Boeing would not confirm this. But this comes from a source who is my most plugged in source on commercial crew. <laughs> they asked for $110 million.
0: <laughs> I hope, I hope what day our day reaction was was, was, was the reaction just, at NASA oh. when they said that. I really hope that was the case.
2: I, it's, I think it could still happen, but that's them just, you know, so, so <laughs> that, that is, you know, Boeing does a great job. They're a great company. They they have a storied history, but they're they're in the space business, like they're in the airplane business to make money. And that was pretty good evidence of, of that
1: threat. what is the I'm trying to remember now what if you divide the whole commercial crew contract up by the amount of flights, what is the per flight cost on a starliner?
2: Um, let's see. They got what was it two point four billion. And I don't know how many flights the the first contract
0: six, six I think.
2: Six, Including so, the demos. So, well, I mean, roughly then, you know, two point four million billion divided by twelve. So, no, wasn't wasn't,
0: wasn't wasn't Boeing's four billion?
2: No, no, it was two point. The 2 it 2 was double SpaceX on the cargo one, 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 one I think, right? I think it's two point four and one point six. I think. 1, 1. 6, I think.
0: Hmm.
2: I'll look it up, but it I doesn't think matter. It's right.
0: astronomical, regardless. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: one
0: hundred and ten I mean, million it's, it's for a, a seat that. I don't get it I, it was the things go into space right they tout that there's like seven it? seats in it well
2: i'm just telling you that is like that lift
0: is. line is a lot cheaper than a regular so, lift so, that's what i'm confused about <laughs> um
2: okay you you guys were right i was wrong my bad Boeing got 4.2 billion in cct cap and spacex got 2.6 billion but that, that 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 and that um this is great. This is a great podcast. <laughs> um, but you know, you gotta think about it. That's not that's not for operational flights so much as those are development right, yeah, costs. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, yeah. you know, you're not gonna get, you know, you're not gonna get value on that right away. And so I think that the second phase of contracts would get you a much closer to a per seat per seat price. But but the analysis that that I've seen have suggested that it would have been just cheaper to buy or use flights for the entirety of the program. But politically, that doesn't make any sense. And if you and if you're if you're NASA and you do want to stimulate the commercial market, which they have done a fantastic job of, you know, people bag on NASA. I bag on NASA, but but they are the stimulus for commercial activity, um, and have done a great job of that. And The commercial crew program is is evidence of that. Um, but but anyway, to go back to, to go back to that hundred and ten ten million dollar. The way the way sort of you know it's been explained to me is that when Boeing gets a contract like this, I hope I you know, don't get myself in, in legal trouble here. But I mean, when Boeing gets a contract, they'll, sort of the lawyers and company officials look at it to figure out how they can maximize the value of that contract. Right. And when SpaceX gets a contract like that, they sort of throw it on the pile with the other five things that they're working yeah. on, kind of running around. So like, you know. In Boeing it's kind of run by lawyers and SpaceX is run by graduate students kind of running around pulling their hair out, you know, working 20 hour days. And so it's kind of the different the different cultures. And it's gonna be really fascinating to see who gets there first. I think it's you know, still way too early to determine which company is actually gonna get there first, get you know, get to the launch pad with people.
1: I'm curious to know like what the the contract looks like on a on a granular level, like seats, because like the the news releases we see is like here's the amount of flights here is amount of price, but like, is the price the same if you put two or four or six people in the, in the capsule? Right. So, cause well, I, think it's extra... four.
2: I think it's going to be four. I think, and I think a nominal flight will be two year, two NASA astronauts, one partner, and then a Russian. Cause there will always be after these flights, there will always be a Russian on space the, on the U S vehicles and always be an American on the Soyuz vehicles going up. Right. Right. Cause it's like, Charging for the extra seat, but we we already bought the flight. You
1: know, like it's that's kind of interesting. It feels like you're you've chartered an airplane and then they're charging you extra. Yeah,
2: for it's that. like Spirit Airlines. I think, Airlines SpaceX, I think space. SpaceX on their first. I think SpaceX on their first their test flight for the first CRS mission, um, took some cargo yeah. up and and got paid for that on top of their contract. So I mean, it's not unheard of. It's just I thought it was very funny that they charged they charged allegedly like the this source who like I said probably my best source, said it was $110 million that they, they, they had the hubris oh. to ask for that much money.
1: I wonder how long before that gets into a Senate hearing somewhere when they're <laughs> we'll criticizing the, the 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 validity of the program,
2: right? No, no one. It's interesting. The commercial crew critics have, have gone dead silent. I mean, it's it's night and day from 2014, 2015, even 2016 yeah. when you would get some people in the Senate to really, really bitched about the program and said, and then maybe it was because Charlie Bolden you know, as a Democrat, they didn't like him and they gave him a hard time. But it's it's everyone is on board with it now and it's full funding and everyone is very supportive. of It It, it was always <laughs> so tough, though, to, in the
0: Senate hearings because they would say like, oh, is there additional costs? And they're like, nope, it was a fixed thing. Yeah, well, that, I feel like that happened that the last funny. time there was a hearing in, in Congress about that. And that kind of yeah, killed Shelby,
2: it. Shelby did, Shelby did that was was saying, well, the, you know, these delays are going to cost NASA money and. Okay, they are going to cost money because they're going to have to buy more Soyuz seeds, but the contracts aren't going up like you know SLS delay. If they delay a year, but two point yeah, two billion it's an entire commercial crew <laughs> year going or either, program going into um, so, Speaking of Congress, I asked Ted Cruz. I said, "Hey, um, have you has your opinion evolved on you know commercial crew? Because like till you know till like twenty fifteen, uh, you know it's like they didn't provide full funding." He said. He said, "Well, you'll notice that when I became chairman of the science committee, they started to get full funding." <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't have the heart to tell him that you know he was he was not he was an authorizer, not an appropriator, and the appropriator committee is actually you know appropriate. <laughs> money. So it's kind of funny. Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz ladies and gentlemen.
0: Jake's yeah, has his own beef he's, with he's, him this week. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, he he had a really great um, uh, uh, magic trick of cognitive dissonance this week about we can't delay getting to Mars and then funding ISS on the side, trying to trying to authorize it on the side to twenty thirty
0: on the side another twelve years. That is
2: that is the most frustrating thing about NASA to me is that there is no there's no detailed plans about how we actually get to Mars and they're not building actually any hardware for Mars and so it's just it's just still hot air and talk and it's been that way you know forever so I, you know i it's 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 got to be very frustrating um for people who really are like fired up about getting people to Mars and it is i mean i think ultimately it is going to take some kind of game changing technology like the BFR. You know, and I and I, I think they'll build the rocket, but I'm not sure that they're gonna build the spaceship. That just seems like science fiction. But maybe Yeah, maybe it's kind they're... of mental, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> tweet of the day was Eric's tweet about some Reddit thread that you got sucked into. <laughs> I'll post a link in the show notes because the gif that Eric attached as a reaction to reading some Reddit thread about BFR today was A plus. Well it's
2: I'm I'm a subscriber to like the SLS subreddit just because I you know I try to keep tabs on what what they're you saying. Enjoy and there's, there's nobody. Well, you gotta wonder who's in there, but I mean, <laughs> it's Ted Cruz. I, I, He's I, like, hey guys, no man, no man. But it's like, the the question was, well what is SLS going to be used for if BFR flies? (laughs) And it's, so there's only 1,400 subscribers to the Space Launch System subreddit.
1: Russian trolls.
0: (laughs) It's the Internet Research Agency. I I don't know.
2: Subcontracted out by Richard (laughs) Shelby. (laughs) God bless them. They still have in their preliminary launch schedule EM1 in 2019 on here. So anyway, you know, it's 1,400 people You know, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know who it is. They're just the people from Marshall, or who it is. But anyway, yeah. It was. was, What happens if that's? I mean, really, it's if if New Glenn becomes a reality, what happens to SLS? I think that's the real question.
1: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I I, that tweet killed me.
2: (laughs) I love just how honestly
1: the question comes about. Like, hang on a second. Oh yeah, yeah. guys, I'm doing the math
2: here. (laughs) Doing the math here. Spending two billion for a launch of, you
0: know, looking good. Poor people. I don't know, man. That's worse than Boeing's rates.
1: Wait, I thought this was supposed to be cheaper because we're reusing stuff.
2: (laughs) You mean they can launch CubeSats to the moon too?
1: Oh, why does every one of our episodes degrade into making fun of SLS by the end of it? I don't know. What.
0: Jake, we got into this space podcasting lucrative ecosystem for one thing <laughs> to make fun of SLS.
1: SLS ribbing. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Okay.
0: What else you got on the radar, Eric? You've got you've had these, you know, crew and commercial crew. What's the trifecta here?
2: Well. I I I don't know if it's going to happen yet or not, but I did. <laughs> this is again, it's it's ridiculous. Uh, I got invited to go to the the next HDTV launch.
0: Um,
2: it's September. Can you be the guy uh, that
0: live streams it with a sandwich in the photo at the end of the live stream?
1: Oh
2: my god, have you seen those?
1: No, what happened? No, it's not a sandwich. It's like a okay. So if you ever watch <laughs> the Japanese live streams,
0: first of all, they're handheld the cameras from like farther yeah, it, away than, like a than uh than koru
1: is and then the, the, the rocket goes it flies away and then like the stream just stays on and it just like watches the pad for like 10 minutes and if you stick with it eventually what happens is some guy pulls out like it's some sort of like fig or something it's like a, some sort of like fruit and it's in, a, it's in a bag and he like holds it in front of the camera and like does a focus it, and then he like opens the bag and he like breaks the fig in half and like <laughs> And then and, and I, I thought it was like someone playing a gag, and then I watched another one. It like, happens every months time. later, the exact same thing. <laughs> it is the most bizarre. I, I don't. I wish Eric, I could speak Japanese. If you go
0: there, you need to write an entire feature on whoever does the social eating stream after <laughs> any launch from Tanga <laughs> Tanga Machina. What is it called? Tanga Tanga. Ten- Tanegashima. Tanegashima. That's what it is. Tanegashima.
2: Tan- yeah. I'm not sure the exact pronunciation. Anyway, it's the H2B rocket, which is you know only flown um, like six times, maybe or something like that. It's six or seven times. Let me look it up real fast. Um, but it's a big rocket. Um, it's not. It's not quite as big as an at- powerful as an Atlas V, but it's it's does like eight tons the G- GTO and and. 16 and a half tons to, to Leo it's yeah, it's flown six times since um 2009 so it doesn't doesn't launch that often but mm-hmm. anyway I don't know I I, I I we'll see I mean you know I, I kind of ask a lot of my wife to you know, I took 10 days to go to French Guiana now I'm gonna turn around and go to Japan but uh, again I mean how many times you, you know you're gonna get to go so I may do that you know in September we'll see um
0: that's the trifecta that's other cool. thing
2: I mean the other th- the other big thing that's coming up is the um the anniversary of Falcon 1 launch. 10 10th and 10 year anniversary of of Falcon 1. Um so I'm going to really dig into kind of that and, and Then then uh, you're going to fly to
0: Quajellen and just hang out. No. No, okay. Yeah. And
2: try not to get killed by a missile <laughs> missile test. There. Oh. No, it's <laughs> some hot it's, I mean, that
0: right
2: would, now. I mean, you know, it's really like the that was really the dawn of truly commercial space. So that's a big, there's a big, that's a big deal, big anniversary. So that's, that's kind of what's going on. Hmm. And, uh, let's see anything, anything else. I don't know. Oh, uh, so, uh, uh, Bridenstine too, uh, he had a media round table Thursday, I guess. Um, he said some interesting things. He, he said those, made those comments about the SLS, which I had a story about. I don't know if, if your readers, many may, of or, our listeners had, had not seen it, but it basically it was sort of him really going in depth about how he loved reusable rockets and how everything going to the moon and back should it's be, be reusable. Yeah, And so I said, well, you're." Right. I said, so the Orion, so the Johnson space center director was sitting next to him, a guy named Mark Geyer, know him pretty well. Night, very nice guy, great engineer. Used to be the Orion program manager. And now is the director of JSC. And so I said to him, following up, I said, So now Mark here has told me that Orion can be reused. I said, But your rocket is not reusable. So how does that fit in? And so, Brinestein, like before Brinestein could answer, Geyer, Mark Geyer pops in and says, Well, that's a good question. And then starts talking about how um, SLS has this great delta V capability and, and, you know, to date, no one's been able to build a big reusable rocket and, you know, Hum-Han hum, and how SLS and Orion are really, you know, this unique capability to build the gateway. You know, and and, and at, at at some point, Bridenstine had enough because he spoke up. He'd sort of, I'd have to go back and look, listen to the tape, but he almost kind of like cut him off and said, but said, but if the private industry does develop a big reusable rocket, we'll use it. And we we want to help them. We want to help them succeed. So it was was really interesting. Like you know, he's not saying cancel SLS. No one is. That's a battle the Trump administration doesn't want to have with Congress. But I think you know this this administration is signaling to the Blue Origins and SpaceX that the world is 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 sort of go on. And it will. You know this, Anthony. You've you've spoken and written about this quite a lot about the LSA awards that are coming out um, sometime this month, I guess. Um, and we'll see if there's anything in there for the BFR or a BFR. Um, you don't. You think so? What do you think? I don't think?
0: know. I don't know what to make of this weird. Like somebody got a weird presentation at the Air Force in the last week and realized that point to point or suborbital flight with the BFR could be cool for military purposes because there seemed to be this story floated of like you know somebody in the Air Force going that- gee whiz that would be really cool.
2: Uh, was that? Oh well, maybe that's why. SpaceX is talking about. I don't know. I I, don't, I really don't have any insight into military I just, space I just see
0: that there's for the constraints that they have on the EELV or whatever it's going to be called now. What's it? What is it now?
1: The NSSL?
0: The Nuzzle. The Nuzzle program. <laughs> <laughs> like no, they have they have plenty of things that fit the bill better and I don't know how yeah. willing they're going to, how willing they are to dive into something that is that different you know they've got vulcan new Glenn, and omega you know love or hate any one of those they fit the bill for what they're looking for and you know
2: and the falcon heavy already serves oh, yeah, all their needs that's even
0: just aside the point they're not going to get you know I, I don't i don't even think spacex would get any money from the lsa development contracts because they can still compete fully for the you know the actual launch contracts that come after that they don't need any development money they've got all this development money for Vertical integration that they've done nothing on down at the Cape, so personally, I don't see any reason why the Air Force should give them money.
2: Yeah, well, it's again, it's it's really going to be fascinating to me to watch to see, because I, I agree that with with you that Omega will get money, will get some kind of award, um, and then how much Vulcan gets, and whether it's. Sp- because that's obviously why they're waiting to down-select, I think, is for those awards. The Air known. Force that's is waiting to downselect. Well, what do you mean? Say that again.
0: Any company could submit two bids to the Air Force for those awards. Right. And I'm pretty sure that ULA submitted so, BE-4 Vulcan and AR-1 Vulcan. And they're letting right. the Air Force pick. And I think the Air Force is going right. to pick New Glenn and AR-1 Vulcan. Because that gives them some differentiation there. And they can go with the old reliables. You know, Boeing, Lockheed, Aerojet, everything's good. And they have their old reliable version. They have the new, you know, second cheapest option in Blue Origin and drives down their cost more. All is good. Mm -hmm. It just makes too much sense. I mean,
2: that's that's, that's reasonable. But you would think ULA would want to have a say in that, ultimately.
0: You would, but they've shown... ULA itself, maybe separate that out, but the parents have shown little to no interest in any of the things that ULA yeah. has been saying for the last two years. And it's bumming me out because I could see a future where Tori Bruno with support can actually do something really cool. But it it yeah. seems like whatever's going on internally there, the parents are just not, not into it without the support of an outside. Yeah,
2: boy, if the air force, if the air force comes to ULA and says, we want you to build Vulcan with the AR one. Um, you know, when does that rocket fly? You know, because I because like I don't see evidence that there's been that much development work done on AR-1. Right? It, they, it seems like they'd be pretty far away from.
1: from well, don't they have to change the whole? Because like all the all the mockups have been like the diameter of rocket that have been based on methane as a fuel.
0: So they could do a double AR-1 five meter Vulcan, which is crazy sounding, uh, and I linked to an interesting. We're going to go back to Reddit here, but there was an interesting thread on the ULA subreddit like a month ago hmm. or so of an old, old, old envisioning of like, I forget what the concept was called, but it was an Atlas V upgraded with two RD 180s. Right. And it essentially lets them drop a couple of solid rocket boosters for the typical payload range. So when you put it that way, there is a future. I think they're like ten years too late on this concept, but it yeah. is a viable thing for what they've got. Yeah, Atlas V Phase Two mass fraction in the chat has has that name exactly. So like when you put it in context of all the other stuff that's been talked about with Vulcan saving money on SRBs and you know doing the uh, what previously was the most batshit crazy recovery option of any space flight hardware was with the engine dropping off and the helicopter catching it up until the point when SpaceX created the monstrosity that is Mr. Stephen Faring and Catching Boat. Uh, now it doesn't look so nuts to do something like that. It seemed like a viable option that, that's 10 or peach. 15 years ago. Yeah.
2: That's a peach in that, that Jaxa stream. That's what it looks like to me.
0: <laughs> We're looking at the photo here. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's
1: not a peach, dude. It's got like a hard shell of some kind. It's, I don't know.
0: And it comes in a bag. That's a ratty looking peach. If that's a peach.
2: (laughs) Man, that's hilarious. Yeah, I don't know. So the LSA awards are going to be fascinating to watch. We're going to get a lot of answers to a lot of questions, I think, from that to see what the military wants, and and we'll see.
0: Should we do some picks?
2: I
1: think we should do some picks. I think we're at picks point right now. Okay. You got a pick. Uh, who's going first? You're talking i'm talking okay i have a pick i'm not i'm not done consuming the pick yet i've started consuming the pick um but I'm, i'll plug it anyway because it's been kind of weird uh so i started reading this book that is available for free on nasa's website it's a history of planetary protection
0: oh
1: uh, mm. yeah it's by uh i'm Sounds. It sounds him. like a reader. <laughs> oh, dude, <laughs> that's that's the joke. It's like super, and like I'm only like in the first couple of chapters, and it's like talking about the history of where it came from, and it's just like it's basically a chronicle of like every meeting that happened in, in 1957. It's a, <laughs> so it's, it's it's pretty funny, but um, yeah, it's really, uh, at least where I'm at so far, it's been really fascinating to see, just like everything else in the U.S. space program of where how the planetary protection policy has rooted in the race against the Soviets. Like, <laughs> like everything, it just comes back to this, this one little bit about how, Oh, they're going to go there and we're going to go there. And then the scientists are, are freaking out because of, of what might happen if they're start. Like literally the, the first few meetings were like, what do we do if they nuke the moon? That was like yeah. the main, the main meeting was about how to handle a nuclear fallout on the and? moon. And so it's, <laughs> uh they, they really advise against
0: it's it okay. great uh, it's a really good recovery <laughs> option yeah
1: yeah, so it's, it's it's funny, and some of the weird concerns they had, you know like they they didn't want to um they the reasoning was like, let's not put anything in orbit around the moon because when you fire the rocket engine, it expels gases, and because the moon has basically no atmosphere, the gases that you expel from your rocket engine will account for a massive percentage of the mar- of the, the lunar atmosphere and so it would ruin any study of the atmosphere so they didn't like they were like let's not ever like don't even go to the moon you can fly by it with no engine firings and that's like all you're allowed to do <laughs> it's like so there's some really funky uh things that they brought up in it but uh yeah it's been pretty interesting so um you can get the ebook or the pdf or whatever on on nasa's website we can we can link to it but it's been it's called uh, when biospheres collide is the uh What a great sci-fi title. (laughs)
2: But
1: but yeah, it's. uh, Is that one of those NASA
0: history ones?
1: Yeah, kind of. Yeah. So I wanted to get the full context um, because I really want to dive into planetary protection a lot. Not for any
0: particular reason related to projects that you may or may not work on.
1: No, 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 definitely not. Um, No. (laughs) There's an interview I'm chasing and it's it's taking me longer than I I wanted to. It's the moon
0: uh, nuke developer.
1: Yeah. yeah, really. A guy
0: that first built the first <laughs> nuke. It was the nuclear uh, quadriad, or whatever the word is for beyond a triad.
2: <laughs> um, so, yeah. so that's really that's really interesting. I think that you know, if we ever get to the point where we're starting to do real shit, you know, on Mars with with private space, then this will be a real battle. And uh so I think it's it's good to sort of really understand the history of this. And there is this huge divide between people like Musk who couldn't give a shit about planetary protection and scientists and like the Planetary Society who, you know, will fight tooth or nail against, you know, sort of any kind of human activity. And, you know, we're gonna come to a point where that's really gonna gonna come to a head. So that'd be fascinating it's yeah, good to and, understand the background of that and exactly
1: and whenever there's like a one of these kind of debates it's like super tribal like that like it's getting to a point where like it doesn't matter what the facts are it's just you're on team them or team us right yeah um i always like to try and that puts me on edge and i have to like understand more <laughs> i i'm not comfortable with those kind of debates i'm like no i will i will learn until i can bring everyone together it's my you're so canadian it's my, my my heart uh, Army personality trait right there. <laughs> yeah, I'll fight this, this battle with knowledge. But um, hmm. yeah, that's what I've been reading. So uh, check it out if you're like, hey, I, I want to have a, an agenda of cost bar meetings from
2: fifty <laughs> nine. <1959." laughs>
1: what do you got, Anthony?
0: I've got a preemptive pick. Oh, Lauren Grush's spacecraft is coming back next week. So hey. I'm just doing a preemptive one because there's going to be a couple episodes for the next show here. And the first season was fantastic. She was doing like uh, zero G flights and, you know, wearing exo suits and stuff like this. And it was pretty great. So this one seems to be more focused. She I think she went to Hawaii to visit some of the analogs. So that's relevant to your interest, Jake. Uh, and it's more about living in space. So I'm very curious to see. What she's got. I think the first episode goes up like next Friday, I wanna say the tenth. Uh so that'll be fun to watch. I don't know how many episodes there are in this season, but it's gonna be great.
2: Awesome. Okay.
0: So we should she's gotta be on the show soon. She's like Yeah. It'll be a lot of fun. We'll, we'll get it. <laughs> so uh that's all I got.
1: Uh Eric, okay. you got one?
2: Yeah, so um I I was in college when, uh, or in high school and college when the when Star Trek Next Generation came out. And so I watched some of it, but not all of it. But I liked it, you know, I liked it, saw the movies and stuff. And so, you know, you kind of need some escapism from the real world these days.
0: Jake reads so Coast about, meetings from 1959 to do that.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, I like the old real world.
0: I, I like
2: to believe that there's still some, you know, potential in humanity. <laughs> So I, I just started, went started back and started watching the whole series um, uh, a couple, couple months ago, and, uh, just, just sort of from, from beginning to end. And I, and I had watched all of Deep Space Nine, because I really liked that, so I'm going to watch that again. Um, but there's a, sorry, it's another podcast, I uh, hope you don't mind, but there's this Greatest Generation podcast, which is these two, like, videographers or something, but they just kind of go back and make fun of the episodes. <laughs> and, like one of their sticks is that like the card is kind of like uh you know sexually abusing wesley because he keeps calling him the boy <laughs> and he's very awkward around him it's it's but they like they kind of they kind of they make fun of like the episodes that it's, it's 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 but you know also provide like a take you know it, it, it's very good it's very it's very funny and so I'm watching the show and then listening to those podcasts and and moving. It's called the Greatest Generation. There's a lot of like, I think Star Trek podcasts that take themselves very seriously, but these guys, I mean, they 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 make some comments about how the filming shots were done, and but it's very funny to see like how, especially that first season, was just kind of like slapdash (laughs) together, and like you know, like one of this one of the episodes in season two, they're having a meeting in Picard's quarters, and he's got like. You know, like like if you would have an office meeting in like the C suite, where they'd have like muffins and stuff and coffee in the corner. It's like they have that in the cards <laughs> in cards chambers. Like it's like I mean, it's just so odd. Like all the <laughs> stuff replicators. It's like yeah. From the, the anyway, it's it's very it's very funny. So it's called the Greatest Generation, um, um, and it's kind of like sort of how I escape from uh, from the world we live in. So anyway, that was what I would recommend.
1: I love those early next gen episodes. They are so my favorite. It's like, I think the very first episode went, it's like, uh, what is it? Escape from, from far side or something? I don't know. Point. Yeah, far point, and they, and it's like when when uh, Riker's like assigned to the crew, and Picard's like, I don't trust you, and I'm gonna make you do a test, and they're like, you have to like separate the saucer by hand, and he like he like sits down, he's got like super serious face, and he's got a, and he's like, one degree left, two degrees left. Up one degree, and like just like wings, it like the whole enterprise separation, (laughs) and then then at the end of it, Picard's like, "Well done, you're on the crew."
2: (laughs) So like, if you even go back and like watch it though, it's hysterical because like, Riker gets up to the ship about thirty or forty minutes into the episode, and Picard doesn't tell him what's going on. He's like, "Sit down there and like watch what happened." Like so, so, like Riker for like ten minutes is at, at like on the bridge, like staring at a screen, like watching. Everything that's happened to date—it's <laughs> so bizarre. You should go look, go back and look at. It. But yeah, then there's this big maneuver, which basically consists of Riker telling the helm, "You know, fly here, do this," and it's like no big deal. Anyway, yeah, it's those first season episodes are. This so is nice. proof
0: that like, Last Jedi wasn't that bad. We're just no, you know what <laughs> I mean, like, that's right. compare it. <laughs> it. Probably wasn't that. That's a great bad.
2: way to bring it back.
0: pretty good pretty good better (laughs) oh wow we should get out of here you got a parting thought Eric some wisdom
2: um I would just say I would just say that it's it's an amazing time to be following this stuff there's there's so much going on um and oh I would just you know I you know there's a lot of attention paid to SpaceX and Blue Origin and NASA but I, I started this thing called the rocket report which is a weekly newsletter to pay attention and you can, you can sign up on our site, but basically it's to pay attention to all the other stuff that's happening. Cause there's so much going on with these smaller launch companies. Um, and, and so it, it just tries to keep track of all the stuff that's happening at like the literally dozens of companies in the United States, but not here, but in China, there's this amazing commercial launch industry too. That's, that's going on. So it's, it's just an incredible time of innovation. You're doing commercial, commercial doing report? air quotes.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, 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 yeah. It's curious.
0: <laughs> I have been enjoying the Rocket Report. What's the What's the best domain to head them to for that?
2: Uh, they could just go to ours Technica and then search for Rocket Report. Um, and then there's a
0: sign up. In I'll put it in the in show that. notes. Um, then they can just click the yeah,
2: thing. Yeah, thanks, man. It's done really well. Like it's been had an ex- ex- excellent response. So. People seem to be. Enjoyed. I'm
0: reading it every week. It's great. Thank
1: you. I, I at least look at the headlines.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a resounding endorsement.
1: <laughs> I'm a terrible news consumer. Well, if it's like, not about geology or <laughs> planetary
0: protection from the 1950s, Jake's like, Meh. I don't have time for that. <laughs> no, it's, it's I've got rocking. a 1950s nuke the moon report to read.
1: <laughs> I, get, I get the Jeff Faust one in the morning, too. And like most of the time, if it's not, in the, if the headline is not in the subject line that I want to listen to. It's like, it doesn't even get (laughs) open.
2: I don't know how Jeff does it every day. Like, doing a weekly one is like, oh my God, I've got to do that this week. And he's like, does it every day. He is the hardest working man in space journalism, hands down. I said this the other day, I'm pretty sure he's the
0: first AI, and they thought that space journalism was the best spot to drop the first AI ever. And I don't know. I don't even understand how he works.
2: I have nothing but respect and admiration for Jeff. He's a cool guy,
0: Jake. You got a plug? What I have you been plug. working on? You got some podcasts recently?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I had a I had a a
1: a quiet streak because my house renovations and me trying to sell the house that I renovated, and combined with summer availability of guests, which is just notoriously <laughs> bad. Uh, I got I got caught and I didn't have an episode, so I went five weeks on an episode, which like hurt my heart. But uh, we're back now. Say so yeah. you got caught um, in a dust storm and I got a- yeah i got caught in a dust storm or poor, poor little opportunity and they're they're posting in the chat something i gotta go investigate after this something's going on but um uh yeah so I, I'm, I'm back now i got some pretty cool stuff i i want to like really hit hit it in the fall i got some some big plans for we martians in the fall but uh i i only just made a list this morning so that's really how that's really how far i've gotten i have a list of stuff oh, yeah, to do notepad,
0: it's so cute. but
1: yeah, it's got bears on it. It's very Canadian. There's a moose. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I don't I don't have any specific thing to plug. But other than uh, stay tuned. Oh, there's a big sale coming at the shop. too. <laughs> what a
0: Capitalist, this Canadian here that joined us. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I figured this episode will be out by the time I post it. So go to shop.weemartians.com for your favorite T-shirts. What, what about you? Are you plugging anything?
0: Cube Rover. Talk to Cube Rover. Eric, these guys are pretty interesting to talk to. Talked to a couple people from the astrobotic offspin that is Cube Rover. Mm, okay. They were. Uh, it's a divisive episode, I would say. People are are split <laughs> on whether this is a great idea or the worst idea that since nuking the moon. So okay, it's pretty curious. Check it out. I they they're working within a lot of constraints. I find that kind of stuff interesting. Uh, some people think that they don't really have a realistic roadmap. So. I'd be curious about anyone's thoughts. A
2: lot of companies don't. A lot of companies don't. I mean, it's it's so much hype out there, man. It's a lot of BS. Got to try yeah, to cut I, through it.
1: Some some sad uh, word that a moon expressed today, too, looks like. What happened? Looks like it's not going well there. I don't know. I just saw a tweet that says that they're they down to only mm. a few engineers. and Not
0: surprised. I'm, not looking I'm looking into that. I'm mm. looking into that. I'm looking into
2: that. It's yeah. It's, they're toppling
0: it's, just like the old launch complexes. Well... Somewhere.
2: Every time every time I write a story about Moon Express, I get people saying, you got to be really, really careful about what you write Ooh. about them and what they're saying. Hmm. So.
0: Well, all right. Hmm. Anyway. Cliffhanger. <laughs> Great place to leave it, yeah.
2: <laughs> anyway, I'll, I'm talking to Bob Richards probably Monday or Tuesday and see what's going on. So. Sweet. Cool. See you, everybody. Okay. All right. I enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one. 2, 1, end the test.